Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. All right, today we've got the story of Private First Class Juan Restrepo. PFC Restrepo would deploy to Eastern Afghanistan in 2007 as a platoon medic serving with Battle Company 2nd Battalion 503rd Infantry Regiment. That's part of the 173rd Airborne Brigade. Specifically, he would deploy to Kunar Province, which is in the east of the country, kind of northeast on the Pakistan border. And even more specific than that, would be placed in the Korangal Valley, one of the deadliest areas throughout the conflict in Afghanistan, a incredibly inhospitable, inhospitable place to fight or even live. The name PFC Juan Restrepo may sound familiar. It's the title of a documentary, Restrepo, that um, outlines, that covers a period of the deployment um, of this unit. So, It's a great documentary. It's worth watching. There's a book also uh, by Sebastian Younger called War that that outlines much of of this deployment as well. He had a lot of access to this unit. And it's going to go into a lot further detail than we will here. It's going to take a little bit of a different path as well. But when you're embedded with the unit for months on end, you can get down into into some pretty, pretty good details. So PFC Juan Restrepo deploys in May of 2007 to the Korangal Valley, Afghanistan. At this point in the war, the the United States has about 25,000 troops in the entire country. Now, at the peak of the Afghanistan surge, we would have uh, right around 100,000 troops. So we're at maybe a quarter of the strength we would get to eventually. But it's an interesting time in Afghanistan. It's an interesting time for our country and for our military. So Summer 2007, what else is going on? The Iraq surge is taking form. So remember, this is when U.S. troop presence spiked in Iraq. The national news was mostly Iraq. The casualties in Iraq were higher. They were more frequent. The civilian casualties in Iraq were much higher. The news, the population, the resources were focused on Iraq not Afghanistan. So in turn, at this point, summer 2007, you're going to have 25,000 troops in Afghanistan and approximately 150,000 in Iraq. Those aren't just soldiers and Marines, airmen, and, and that's equipment. That's money. That's attention. You know, we at times seem like this giant, monstrosity of a military in a country, but we only have so many Apaches. We only have so many drums. We can't be everywhere at once. We only have so many infantry brigades. Where are they going to go? Well, in 2007, we were having a real issue of deciding where, well, we weren't having a real issue of deciding where things should go. Things were going to Iraq. That was the focus. In turn, much of Afghanistan was relegated to a to the back burner. So there were resources to accomplish some missions, but if you look at the the whole of the Afghan war, 2007 
is a window where we're doing things on a shoestring, maybe is a good way to put it, especially when you compare that to the, the surge between 2009, 2011, 2012, when we had so many resources in that country. 2007, we're trying to figure out how to you know, tame an entire province with a brigade of soldiers or, or a battalion. I mean, the, the resources available to the soldiers and to the leaders in Afghanistan in 2007 is, is a challenge. It's asking things of them that in retrospect were not possible. So that takes us into the Corongo Valley. The Corongo Valley is just a wonderful place to hold up and repel an invading force. And you'll, the Russians and the, or the Soviets had a problem there. And American forces, coalition forces have had a problem there. It's not an area we've been able to uh, tame is... I don't know. Maybe that is a good word to use here. It's incredibly hostile today. Even at the at the at its best, Corongo Valley was not a place you would want to walk through as an American. It's an easy place to hide. It's difficult to get in and out of. Even with helicopters, sometimes it's a challenge to get in there and find a level landing zone. It's a challenge to um, be within reach of medevac and air support as needed. It's just a nasty area. There's a reason that enemy fighters find a haven in the Corongo. In 2007, and for much of the Afghanistan war, there was a focus of moving into these unknown areas in order to set up outposts and be among the people. So the establishment of these outposts would do a couple things. It would you know, if you think, think of a valley, and if you think that entire valley is run by an insurgent force, if you just poke your head in there once a week or say even once a day, sure, you can disrupt some operations. But if you live there, it's a different game. Maybe you can't stop everything, but at least the bad guys can't walk down the street with their weapons over their back. They've got to do something to adapt. The other side of it is, if we're at least out there, it gives the Afghan population an opportunity to engage, not just with American forces, but the goal of engaging with the government of Afghanistan and the police or army forces that are stationed with Americans, especially in a desolate area like the Korangal, where you have tribes that have never left their little village, providing them an opportunity to engage with the Afghan, the Afghan government they they might not have any up they might not have any opportunity unless you go to them. They're not going to come out and walk through Kabul to uh, to check on current events with with Afghan politics. So if we can get in there, we can at least give them an opportunity to hear another side. So we're going to start building outposts. There are outposts all throughout this valley, and this is going to be a big part of what's asked of this battalion. And this brigade during their deployment is the establishment of these outposts. It is a incredibly bloody time in Afghanistan. It is the deadliest year. And 2007 is the deadliest year to date to that. What's the best way to say this? 2007 would be the deadliest year to date. We ended up uh, having a few worse years later on. But I think one of the reasons that this happened was the lack of resources. The enemy knew that they could stand and fight for longer because we didn't have as many, let's say, Apaches. Apache support wasn't blanketed across the entire country. So these these 
um, gunship helicopters, we they'd be based all around the country and would move around and, and fly in support of missions. But you never knew they might not always be available. They might be 30 minutes away. If they have to support all of Kunar, say you have eight helicopters to support all of Kunar, what if every base gets in contact? Helicopters have to refuel. They have to rearm. Pilots have to sleep. I mean, how many of these aircraft can you rely on at any given point? In turn, 2007, specifically this unit of the 173rd Airborne would would be in some fierce, fierce fighting. And the theme in this fighting is that the enemy stuck around. They didn't get up and go, which you would see later in the war. This deployment for this brigade would see three Medal of Honor recipients. That's crazy. It's a 15-month deployment in some of the heaviest fighting of the Afghan war, and they're fighting with a lack of resources in the big picture. That takes us to PFC Juan Restrepo and his unit deploying on uh, deploying in May of 2007. And a few months into his deployment, he's on a patrol with his unit. Now, Restrepo is the platoon medic. And platoon medics have a couple jobs. So there is usually a platoon medic. There's one person. So um, everybody knows who to go to. He is, should something happen to a soldier on patrol, get shot, hits an IED, whatever it is, the medic is the one right away. Everybody turns to the medic. They're the one to treat the wounded soldier. They're the one to, their job is to save lives in the battlefield. They're going to keep that person alive until a medevac chopper shows up. They're going to, you know, they're going to get that, they're going to coordinate the evacuation. They're going to, they have the skills to go a little above and beyond what your average soldier would have. If nothing else, if there's multiple casualties, the medic's going to be coordinating treatment between a few. And a good medic is going to be pulling people in and yelling at them what to do, like a second set of hands for him. So Restrepo has that responsibility. It's incredibly heavy. Think about that on your shoulders. When Every time you walk out the door, it's your responsibility to keep the people around you alive when the worst happens. That's his job right out the gate. Already a challenging job. But good medics, and from everything that I've seen and read, uh, Juan Restrepo fit this to a T, don't stop when you come back to the base at the end of a patrol. In fact, sometimes that's where more of the work happens. He's checking on guys, walking in, making sure they're all right. There's a lot of mental stress going on. Take away the combat environment. All of these people are away from their families, away from their kids, away from their wives, away from their dogs. And if you think of the type of person generally that becomes a medic, that wants to help people, that wants to heal, it's not a big jump to see that person sitting down and saying, hey, man, how are you doing? You all right? You seem a little off. And how important is that in a stressful, you know, high-strung environment like life on a combat outpost in the middle of the Korongo Valley, Afghanistan? It's an incredibly important trait to have in somebody. It doesn't have to be the medic. The medic often fits that bill, and a lot of times you end up seeing that take form. From what I've seen and read, Juan Estrepo fit that. That's what he did. He was checking on his guys. Of course, looking looking after them on patrol. But then when they came off the battlefield, he was right there as well. His job is 24-7, and that's awesome. He was on one of these patrols on 22nd of July, 2007, and his unit came under fire. Small arms fire, enemy element, and there were bullets landing all around. So 
naturally the move is instinctively everybody takes cover, returns fire, takes cover, gets behind something, gets down. After the first wave of gunfire uh, dissipated, the medic doing what he is there to do looks up to see if any of his brothers have been hit. This is the time where Restrepo is needed. There's enemy gunfire. They're out away from their base. This is the reason he's here. If somebody's hit, he's got to get up and go. It's his job to keep him alive. He pokes his head up away from the cover to check on his brothers and is struck by enemy fire. Severely wounded, the other soldiers come to his aid and he, through every ounce of his energy, is doing his best to direct the treatment, direct them in their treatment of him. So roles reversed. Usually he's the one actually performing the aid. Now he's asking his brothers that he was just checking on a moment ago how they can treat him. Medivac is called. They get him out of the battlefield, but he would pass away uh, before the end of the day at the age of 20. So PFC Juan Restrepo, July 22nd, 2004, 2007, excuse me, dies of wounds in Corongo Valley, Afghanistan. Now, if you want to talk about legacy, I don't know the reason that Juan Restrepo joined the army. There's a hundred reasons you tend to hear. There's a lot of ones that, that come up over and over again. Um, but I don't know how many people have had a greater legacy and have had a greater impact than private first class Juan Restrepo. And I don't think he knew it. I don't think he intended it, but it goes to show just how powerful those little interactions can be because of his care for his platoon. He's a private first class. He's a new soldier of the platoon. He's one of the most junior people there, but because of the genuine care he showed for his brothers, when they built an outpost in the heart of Taliban country, kind of poking the Taliban in the eye, they named it OP outpost. Restrepo. That then is where the name for the documentary came from. So when Sebastian Younger went out to Afghanistan and embedded with the unit and caught and, and, and caught all of this action on film and saw what life was like during one of the deadliest deployments in Afghanistan, he named that film Restrepo. You know how many people have seen that movie that don't know anybody that's in the military, don't know anybody that's been in Afghanistan? don't have any knowledge of the Afghan war. They watched that movie and now they know something. They know a little bit more. They understand a little bit what some of these soldiers went through. Talk about legacy. Holy cow. This man, from his interactions, from his care, from his love for his platoon mates, for his company mates, may have had a greater legacy than, than, than just about anybody else he was working with. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. And, uh, it says an awful lot about him. It says an awful lot about him. So, again, today, the story of Private First Class Juan Restrepo. From all accounts, an incredible human being, an incredible warrior, American soldier. Killed in the Corongo Valley, Afghanistan, July 22nd, 2007. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. 
If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.